Hello and welcome to the Final Girls podcast. I'm Anna Bukitska, co-founder of the Final Girls. We're a UK-based film collective exploring the intersections of horror film and feminism. We curate and organize events, screenings and programs, and now also a podcast. To coincide with our screening series called Here Be Witches, exploring all things witchcraft on screen throughout November, we're diving into films, both horror and not-so-horror, that feature witches at the centre. We'll be publishing episodes every week, each centered on a different film or TV show, with a special guest joining me to dive deeper into its themes, its legacy, and the way witches are represented in it. To kick off this series, I sat down with writer Ione Gamble, the founder and editor-in-chief of Polyester Zine, as well as the host of the Polyester podcast. Ione and I sat down to discuss the craft, the 1996 teen horror sleepover classic centered on four outcast teenage girls at a Los Angeles high school who pursue witchcraft for their own gain. The trio of misfits, led by Nancy Downs, played here by Feruza Bulk, with Rochelle, that's Rachel True, and Bonnie, feature scream queen Nev Campbell, are joined by newcomer Sarah, played by Robin Tooney, and together they discover and evolve their abilities, taking back power into their hands and taking revenge on those who hurt them. To the other kids at St. Bernard Academy, they were the girls who didn't belong. Whatever you do, stay away from them. Why? They're witches. But after years of being on the outside... Why'd you lie about me? I don't want to go out with you again. Please, stop begging. It's pathetic. Four girls are about to discover the dark side. You ever heard of invoking the spirit? Black magic. Things happen. I mean, this is it. This is real. Ione, thanks so much for being here. And Anytime. I think you've got the most coveted slot in this podcast series. Oh, really? Yeah, everybody wanted to talk about the craft. It's the one movie that every single person that I approached for the podcast was like, is the craft taken already? Oh, no way. Well, I'm yeah. happy that I got it then. <laughs> got in early. <laughs> um. So when did you first see the craft? Uh, I was thinking about this and I think I first saw it probably when I was like... 14 or 15 so I used to collect VHS's well collect lol that's like a bit of an overstretch but you know buy VHS's I suppose it was like the easiest way to watch films that's good makes me sound like really old but this was only like 10 years ago so um (laughs) the millennial timeline is very fast (laughs) um so I think I must have watched it around when I was like 14 or 15 just by myself (laughs) I think I'd seen a lot of like screenshots of it across the internet and maybe that's why I picked it up when I saw it out I'm not really sure I can't remember but it was all over Tumblr so I must have like seen it there somehow because I used to like seek out films a lot that I'd see on Tumblr specifically what was your first impression do you remember what your reaction to it was as a 14 year old girl because that's such a perfect age to watch the craft it is yeah um I think I was like a bit in awe of it especially well I don't know the film really seems like kind of split into two for me in my mind like the first half where they are all great friends and then the second half where it goes all absolutely batshit mental and when I re really watched it I think 
I kind of had the same impression of it as I do now, which is like the second half kind not not ruins it because it's great, but like throws it all off a bit for me, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> but I was definitely very like impressed and inspired by it when I was a teenager, and it definitely like fed into a lot of the other things I was interested in and looking at at the time. I definitely grew up with like a group of friends that were kind of you know vaguely interested in witchcraft on some level, and I was very interested in you know horror films and like especially women in horror films. So I definitely liked it. And what about rewatching it last night? So when I rewatched it, I forgot like so much about it, and I was definitely picking up on like the dynamics between the girls more than my first watch, I think. But I mean, it holds up like it is pretty batshit crazy. <laughs> like, it does, it feels like you're watching a weird fever dream. Like it definitely because I really love teen films. It definitely doesn't really follow. Like it is very traditionally a teen film in a lot of ways, but in other ways, it's just like yeah, it just goes absolutely off the rails about halfway through and into crazy horror. When you rewatched it for for this, what struck you about it? Kind of not just the the first half and the second half being so different, but actually, do you think it was sort of um, weirdly prescient in a way, where it kind of touched on topics that are very much still part of the cultural conversation right now? Yeah, definitely. I found um, you know Nancy's character very interesting, and I think it's particularly interesting about her specifically how across the internet and with teen girls she has sort of become you know somewhat of like an icon but she is horrible and I kind of love that about her um I think they take it too far in the film when she ends up institutionalized it seems like a bit unnecessary <laughs> I mean I'm like she tried to kill a lot of people but it's fine Do, she's Nancy's such an interesting character because she is positioned as the villain mm-hmm. but she's also very clearly sort of a victim of circumstance as well and she's so relatable in the fact that she's wants so much like even if you think about all of the things that the other girls in the coven ask of Manon who's their kind of god that they worship and then they want to invoke you know they want beauty or they want love or they want acceptance and Nancy wants pure power Mm -hmm. she wants to be able to do anything she wants and power manifested through magic or money or kind of the freedom of being able to move around and not be kind of constrained by her environment and I think that's definitely something that is still very much like frowned upon if you are someone who is marginalized and you want power that seem seen as a bad thing or you know like a thing that makes you questionable as a person if you want power especially yeah if you are a femme um And that's obviously why she is so kind of reviled in the film by many people. But um, it did strike me as like funny, I suppose, how her and what's the other main character called? I'm so bad with names. Sarah. Like they basically end up being the same thing. Like they're pitted together as like good versus evil and she's like a good witch and Nancy's a bad witch but they do the same thing in the end especially at the end when Sarah knocks the tree down and nearly hurts the other two girls like that is classic mean girl behavior (laughs) (laughs) class 
sick. I mean, actually, if you think about it, this is such a perfect blueprint for a mean girl teen movie trope because there's three of them. And even, you know, if we go to Mean Girls from 2004, there's three of them. Mm -hmm. And then a new girl who's sort of pure and naturally beautiful, naturally talented, kind of in an effortless sort of way. Yeah. And, you know, she gets kind of absorbed and corrupted by this trio. But also she's the one who ends up becoming even worse than the Queen Bee. So in, in Mean Girls, it's Katie who become, kind of starts outsmarting and outwitting Regina George. Mm-hmm. So she becomes almost worse than Regina herself. Mm-hmm. And in this way, Sarah also becomes almost worse than Nancy in a sense. Yeah, totally. And I think the power dynamics and the moral dynamics of the film are kind of a lot all over the place and a bit of a mess. Come on. Like when... I know the actress's name is Rachel, but I don't know the character's name because I'm so Rochelle. Bad at ca- Rochelle. Okay. When she gets all of the racist Billy's hair to fall out, but then she starts feeling bad about it. Like, why feel bad? That girl is still a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you know, actually, Rochelle's motivations are probably, in a way, the most sincere ones. Well, they're all sort of sincere, but she just wants to be at peace because she's been actively bullied by this racist girl at her school and kind of being prevented from living her life and doing what she wants to do and going to swim practice and whatnot. So her kind of motivation is righteous revenge in a way. I think it has definitely makes the most sense. Like there's a clear narrative, whereas like with Nancy's, it kind of jumps around a lot. You don't really know why she wants what she does until there's the one scene where her stepfather dies. And with the other girl with the skin condition on her back like that bonnie bonnie that kind of makes sense but they don't but then like i was watching it with a friend last night and she was like oh if that happened to me i'd wear a backless dress to school the next day which obviously you would but then she comes in in a t-shirt and <laughs> the whole point is still that like oh she's got loads of confidence now but it's like they should have taken that further and when um when they're like oh she's a bitch she doesn't actually seem that bad maybe i'm just evil <laughs> <laughs> Well, she does come in with that sort of, you know, confidence stride. She comes in late into the class and, you know, she's all of a sudden kind of very sassy and everything. played out enough, though. Although then at one point she does become very sexually aggressive, you know, so she kind of compliments and tries to, you know, pat the ass of a guy who's kind of walking past and kind Uh, of is all all over the place, mm. kind of with her very explicit sexuality, which in a sense is like that was the thing maybe that she was repressing because she felt uncomfortable because of her skin condition but in a way that's just that seems to be an internal thing like that was always there but she needed the confidence boost of being able to say not shy away from showing Mm -hmm. the skin that she wanted to show because that's her natural personality kind of coming through yeah totally and i do find it quite like funny that they only start getting moral compasses when it starts like going on the town for them (laughs) like they're like oh wait maybe we can't have it all which i suppose is like yeah a life lesson in some ways um because they are obviously the underdogs in terms of like the school hierarchy system and other things. And then when they start to regain that power, they're very quickly like put back in line, um, which is kind of a shame as well. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the thing that was always disappointing for me about Nancy. I mean, she is positioned as the villain, but actually in terms of them being friends with each other, she when I was when I've rewatched the film over the years, and especially as an adult, I see her as being quite kind. Yeah. Now, if you consider in the story, right? So Sarah comes in. The first guy she meets is Chris Hooker, mm-hmm. who is fuckboy number one in the school mm-hmm. and played by Skeet Ulrich, mm-hmm. uh, who then went on to famously kind of play 
Billy in the in the first scream in the first scream film. And now but, Riverdale. <laughs> yes. Hot dad number one in Riverdale. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she kind of falls for for Chris, but it's very clearly from the start stated that that Nancy used to have a thing with Chris and then she very quickly brushes it off so Nancy gives her the intel she's like watch out for this guy he is not to be trusted Mm -hmm. Sarah still falls for him despite her new friend being sort of his ex which is you know potentially a big no-no but still yeah but Nancy not just allows her but she warns her she's kind she encourages her she supports her when she's brokenhearted um and then she avenges her after he assaults her as well Mm -hmm. so she's quite a good friend she's very protective of her of her girls in that friendship group and then she's the one punished when her ambition gets the better of her yeah i think nancy is like quite a classic example of yeah she's just not to be contained into what we consider like a good person to be like she has no sort of sense of like social cues like she makes weird noises and speaks in like these weird tongues that don't really make much sense like when you watch it it does just make not much sense at all and she's just yeah like this girl that's very clearly unhinged in some way or another is very like for she's very like puts everything to the forefront as to how she is and isn't scared to be like a weirdo but that's ultimately what is vilified about her which I think is like kind of a weird I remember kind of the thing that always sticks is the aesthetic of the film as well Mm -hmm. and just kind of how fearless Nancy especially is because even when they're first introduced right in that sort of walking down a corridor montage she's the one who's fully in that 90s teen like they kind of get a bit more like Nancy as the film goes on and then pull back really quickly it's like commit yeah because they all of them are quite sort of vanilla school girl outfits and she's just full on crucifix necklace black lipstick everything is modified everything has this sort of teen gothy aesthetic to it she's got a noose in her locker she's out there and completely fearless and unashamed of who she is and everyone sort of steps into line with her once they start really engaging with their powers Mm -hmm. but as you say then they pull back which was always sort of disappointing for me and then she gets punished as well for being sort of the fearless weirdo yeah and i don't think that it's weird how there's power struggles like within the friendship group as well like they first line up with nancy but then they obviously want sarah to be their like leader or whatever and that's when the two are pitted at odds with each other whereas i think it's a much stronger story and like a much stronger message when they are just kind of all like witching about in the woods and like are a unified team but obviously that is largely not how it goes in school especially with teenage girls there's so much infighting and stuff like that but nancy's definitely like over vilified maybe i mean we've been able to find the like humanity and relate to her over like many years of re-watching and seeing this character played out whereas like yeah i'm sure when it first came out when people watched it they were just like she's a bitch or something but also do you think then i think there's a lot of it that comes down to the performance by feruza bulk as well you know she's so committed to it full on it's like every single facial expression not just her makeup and stands and how she walks how she talks to everyone else she's doing so much acting with a capital a in the background isn't she yeah she's totally committed to being like 100 percent an outsider which is like 
a great thing, but it also means that certain other things don't line up, like her relationship with Chris. Why were they ever even together? Like, they are complete polar opposites. And she is, like, the friend you would want to have but feel a bit embarrassed of or, like, potentially people would feel embarrassed of. You know, she will, like, literally go and fight to the death for you, but she doesn't do it in a way that's, like, that nice. I feel like you would want her as a friend, but you would be like, uh, I don't know. I don't fully condone her actions, even though I do. I am that friend. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's interesting you pointed out before that kind of Rochelle and Bonnie sort of gravitate towards the person that they feel is the most powerful. Mm-hmm. So kind of when um, Nancy is the de facto leader of the weirdos, let's say, they're fully behind her. But then when they see that Sarah might be more naturally powerful than Nancy is, they sort of come running back to her. What do you think kind of that says about the power dynamic of kind of girl gangs? I think it definitely says that like a lot of people like to rally behind one person. And it says like a lot about popularity and things like that. And I don't know though, because both of those girls, they have like their own innate power and you can see it in the choices that they make that they want to direct their magic towards like everything they I think they have like a lot of heart as characters both of them so it seems quite doesn't make logical sense that they'd want to rally behind one specific person but like everyone needs a leader and everyone likes someone to like look up to and stuff like that and I think you definitely do that throughout your whole life not just as a teenage girl you always want to gravitate towards people that you think are impressive or you think that are cool or like whatever and obviously Nancy is like the archetypal kind of like cool but least cool person in the world but as in for like weird girls she is the coolest person in the world she's kind of the poster child for weird girls isn't she definitely yeah. but then she is obviously viewed as morally reprehensible <laughs> so then they go to sarah who's like more palatable has like a kinder way of using magic or like speaking even though i would not necessarily agree with that because i think she has it in her to be bad as well but she's kind of like the softer option do you know what i mean and let's talk a little bit about kind of how magic is portrayed in here because it's something that seems to be a bit divided between sort of natural witches like Sarah is presented as a natural witch who's just is born with powers Mm -hmm. through her mother versus the rest of the girls who have to go through rituals and learn spells and do all of this work in order to gain a little bit of the natural power that Sarah has so kind of what do you what do you think about how these two brands of magic are presented in the film Well, it's kind of like being naturally gifted versus having to try really, really hard at something, isn't it? Like people, you know, what is it like? Yeah, I was a star pupil as a kid, Twitter. Being like, now I'm a mess, whatever. That's who Sarah would be. (laughs) And Nancy and everyone have to work for it. And I don't think that, you know, maybe a sense of entitlement comes more from being born good at something and I think it takes commitment to have to try and have to you know you have to be more committed and you have to be more passionate about something to try it and really get to know it whereas if it comes easily to you then you know you're you probably won't craft your skill as much or aim to and I think that's like very very applicable to the real world and in terms of how it portrays witchcraft in particular I kind of like the fact that it you know the fact that the three girls need a fourth it's like you need other people to be able to achieve your full potential and you need to work with other people you need to have like friendships with other people and all of this which I think is really good messaging for real life um yeah and do you think kind of 
the rituals that they do kind of almost when they're playing around you know there's so many sleepovers in this film you know they do all of these tiny spells on each other there's a really tender moment where nancy is trying to heal bonnie's scars mm-hmm. kind of in front of the fire and then obviously there's the um light as a feather stuff as a board ritual where they lift up rochelle and i think every single teenage girl of a certain age has recreated that 100%. at some point yeah <laughs> so kind of what do you think is the is the lasting impression of those images i think it definitely would inspire people to you know yeah try those things out but also to get together like with your friends and to make little rituals in your everyday life like to empower each other through you know acts of kindness and acts of friendship and through the act of doing things collaboratively as well because they yeah they can't you know when um sarah tries to curse nancy and then nancy immediately knows and it's like don't do that again and it doesn't work because she does it by herself and like nancy has the power of three and i think that definitely would you know inspired me to kind of pick things up with my friends and like the whole teenage bedroom culture is something I'm extremely interested in generally like across films and I think adding magic to that is just like all the more delicious (laughs) let's pick up on that kind of what do you think about the teenage bedrooms and the way that they're presented in these films because they're some of the most fascinating spaces throughout the films because we get a real insight into each one of the characters yeah I think it's really interesting like the way as well that it shows you know like class between the girls and like nancy living in a trailer and then sarah living in a fucking massive house in like the hollywood hills what does our dad do i kept asking myself this and yeah like i think that really speaks to also how those two protagonists are like portrayed and as you picked up on earlier the way that nancy is hungry for power through to like through a lacking of having it and a lack of like autonomy over her situation and when they get put in the massive flat when she gets the like payout from her stepdad's death and they have the most ridiculous things like that jukebox and stuff and Sarah's kind of like dismissive of it because obviously she has all this wealth already mm-hmm. and I think that's really interesting but also Sarah doesn't like decorate her bedroom or anything does she like at the end it's really plain and just like a weird manor house yeah she's <laughs> much more kind of committed to the photograph of her mom mm-hmm. so she's much more kind of emotion driven yeah. than driven by wealth or the space but maybe that's just because she's always had access to that it's never been a worry whether it's the absence of any sort of support systems or you know a space of her own that's not invaded by kind of her her mom's abusive boyfriend Mm -hmm. is something that nancy we're led to believe has never really had and i also think that's probably why sarah is like not as committed to the coven because you know she has like a supportive father and like her mom is gone but she feels connected to her mother so she has like these roots whereas nancy just doesn't really have those roots in the same way so seeks it in other friendships and kind of they one of the key invisible figures in a way is the film is manon who is this god goddess figure that they worship which is you know entirely fictional i believe and kind of created for the film but there's there's a beautiful kind of point where nancy as a real devout believer goes on and says manon is everything you know if god and the devil were playing football he'd be the field and the football pitch and the grass and and the sky and everything else you guys maybe he'll really listen now manon what's that that's like god (laughs) no man invented god this is older than that do do you guys worship the devil (laughs) (laughs) it's like god and the devil I mean, it's everything. It's 
It's the trees, it's the ground, it's the rocks, it's the moon, it's everything. It's nature. No. If God and the devil were playing football, Manol would be the stadium that they played on. It would be the sun that shone down on them. What do you think about that portrayal of this made-up deity? I mean, I do think... It, like just from my own personal viewing I don't like it like I think it's a shame that they have to kind of uh pray to like an overlord or like value one specific kind of system to be so powerful over them like I think it's more interesting if they conjure up the power within themselves or like through like the environment that they then channel through themselves like as feminine people I think that's more interesting than yeah like a deity god who is like they say him all throughout the film don't yeah, they, they so do. it's probably a him probably you're a him <laughs> um I think that is like yeah a bit disappointing so I think I kind of ignored it. I was like, oh, I just don't want to know. <laughs> zone out, zone out. Like, I think it's much more interesting to think about them having power over each other and through each other than it's a overlord allowing them it. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah, because it is kind of, they're still, even as these kind of power hungry and then eventually powerful young witches, they're still worshipping a deity in mm -hmm. some way who is the the kind of the, the figure that's responsible for gifting them the powers, mm -hmm. except in the case of Sarah, who is presented from the beginning as being a natural born witch. And it feels kind of like, not at odds, but, it, you know, because there's the woman who works in the witchcraft shop and she's the one that teaches them all of it. Like, that would have been a much more natural power figure mm -hmm. to have. Like, I don't think it was necessary to then have a deity, like, above her, because she already presents that kind of, like, motherly... Like mentorship. Fountain of knowledge, yeah. yeah. But they, they very aggressively sort of dismiss her and reject her in the first in the first half of the film when they first visit the shop and Sarah's the only one who sort of starts listening to mm -hmm. her. And then, you know, Nancy once she gets a bit of money kinda of quite aggressively buys um a book about invoking the spirit mm -hmm. and when she's warned kind of about the peril of that she just sort of throws money at her and says you know i've got money now and i can buy this and mm -hmm. i can afford this you don't you can't teach me anything that i mm -hmm. don't know yeah i think nancy definitely has like a bullish attitude towards things but i also think that's like a very teen girl thing to do isn't it like you're unlikely to listen to older role models really i think that's you get a real appreciation for that maybe when you're in your early 20s or like a bit of an older teen like when you're at school you just want to be you want to teach yourself everything and you think that you have the power to like unlock all of life's lessons which especially is untrue <laughs> <laughs> is it um especially with nancy because she you know she is being rejected constantly on a daily basis in her school and also does not have a very good home environment either so kind of she's just she has to develop this really protective outer shell definitely and like obviously it would be hard to trust people in that situation as well and why would you sh like trust a woman that owns a witchcraft shop doesn't seem like the most upstanding Don't know person I mean, they're all witches <laughs> it's so. true it's true <laughs> um but let's talk a little bit about chris hooker mm -hmm. what did you think of chris when you first watched the film as a teenage girl and what did you think of him now as an adult woman i mean i think when I first watched it I can't even remember him being in it so like that is generally the retention I have for straight white men into <laughs> like they just kind of gloss over me <laughs> I just do not acknowledge their existence most of the time but um upon watching it back like yesterday I mean he's just an archetype archetypal fuckboy as you said already like an absolute 
cock and it seems weird that Sarah is so like taken in by him in the beginning and a moment that I thought was really nice is when you know they're casting the initial spells and she has the picture of him and says like oh I want him to love me or whatever Uh, it was nice that the other girls didn't dismiss her like they were like oh that's lame or whatever they said Mm. but they weren't like you're a weirdo for saying that like it was kind of in a friendly way because at home I was definitely thinking what the hell are you doing he just like said you're a bad fuck yeah like (laughs) essentially she rejected him and he slut shamed her Mm -hmm. when they hadn't even done anything more than a kiss which felt quite forced anyway Mm -hmm. um but also when i was rewatching it last night and this is so flippant i almost feel bad about it i kept thinking where did you get that picture oh my god i know (laughs) same i was like already girl that is like quick (laughs) i was like who's quick who had a a straight looking straight to camera picture of chris hooker (laughs) that you found and stole or maybe more embarrassingly ask someone to borrow yeah. to burn in a witch <laughs> ritual <laughs> i mean i respect it that's a level of commitment that i really respect but yeah what you i mean he's so clearly presented as a prick and i also think it's interesting that you know she puts the love spell on him and it's kind of presented that that's because he's acting that way because of the spell but it's not that far from how men behave in real life, like coming to her house, like incessantly contacting her, begging to take her out, and then obviously eventually forcing himself upon her. Like men do not know boundaries and like love spell or not. And then when he first approached her and was like, oh, do you hate me? Well, it's like, you're the one that said all that shit and you haven't apologized or anything. He doesn't actually apologize to her at any point no. or acknowledge anything. No. But what I found was interesting kind of rewatching is that actually the spell just makes him a more exaggerated version of himself. Mm-hmm. He was already a fuckboy prick, but he was more sly about it and kind of very confident in himself and not really caring about anyone. Yeah. The only thing he cared about was his own image. And he'd kind of put down girls around him to make sure to maintain his image as sort of this, you know, sed- seductive um womanizer basically in high school. Mm-hmm. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> We're just chatting shit about 15-year-old boy. (laughs) Yeah, calm down. Um, But then, you know, when he goes into this love spell, he just, he becomes just as relentless and kind of knows no boundaries, like you say. But isn't really kind. Like, no, they kind of present his actions as if it is kind of like kind or doting. But it's so transparent that they aren't his actual motivations. He's just incessant because she's not that reciprocal. Mm -hmm. yeah and like he just keeps to the point where he tries to force himself upon her but you can almost well the movie really leads us to um gives us enough information to deduce that he would do this Mm -hmm. even if he wasn't under a love spell Mm -hmm. essentially yeah and it was so poignant kind of how um how kind of the slut shaming machine worked so quickly against sarah as Mm. well she was a new girl in school she went out on one date with this dude like by lunchtime yeah and by lunchtime everybody had this opinion of her Mm -hmm. but i always keep wondering like it's so it's so beautifully portrayed how toxic that is because she's instantly sort of marred by this kind of accusation but at the same time he's the one who's been at the school for a long time mm-hmm. and he's clearly done this Managed before to, to other girls so many girls yeah. yeah and nancy being kind of the only one that we know of mm-hmm. that was also sort of stigmatized because of this yeah which i thought was kind of such an interesting portrayal of, of kind of the double standards around female and male sexuality and kind of you know even if they did have sex 
why why is that suddenly a reason to shun Sarah? Yeah, definitely. And also like the hierarchy between girls because the shot directly after she's told is a lot of other women like laughing at her and pointing at her. So the ways in which like girls are so easy to turn on each other in high school, I think is like an interesting narrative that runs through that film, whether it's like the popular girls and the witches or like the witches to the witches or, you know, there's so many threads to it. Oh, absolutely. And even coming to, you know, Rochelle Sturmenter is this girl who's in her swim team as Mm -hmm. well. And yeah, she's a racist piece of shit, Mm -hmm. essentially. But it's so interesting that she takes such pleasure in torturing another student, another girl in her class. I do find it hilarious as well how the bully at no point just shaves her head like she lets all the hair just gradually fall out for like weeks (laughs) but it also kind of shows kind of how important vanity is for teenage girls like the way they look and what that says about them in the sort of the hierarchy of high school oh yeah totally because one of the first comments that she says towards Rochelle is about her hair looking like a pube and so then her hair is attacked and I think it is those kind of like small comments that really hurt when you're Mm. growing up isn't it like someone might just think they're being funny and only like marginally offensive but they're the things that you remember for like the rest of your life essentially yeah and Rochelle is kind of such an uh, an iconic figure with kind of on-screen witches in in many regards but also within kind of the dynamic of the four witches of the craft as well yeah definitely I think she is a really good character can you talk a little bit about where do you see the influence of the craft most in other in other pop culture? There's a long gestating remake slash sequel coming up at some point in the near yeah, future. Yeah, is that ever gonna happen? I really hope not. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. I don't. I don't, I don't want anything to sully this film. Mm, yeah. yeah. But where do you kind of see its influence the most? I think definitely, I mean, Nancy's outfit, the like PVC jacket, you can just like walk down Kingsland High Street, which we're near, and you will see like 50 girls, like walk into St. Martin's and you will see every single one of them in a PVC jacket. And she really did kind of, you know, set the tone for what a teen witch looks like, much more than like Sabrina did or anything, because Sabrina was iconic in her own way, 90s iteration, but didn't really have that, like she didn't have a tangible darkness around the way she dressed oh, Sabrina was the most vanilla whichever exactly and I think a lot of people were kind of a lot of especially teenage girls were kind of hungry to see that represented like the same with Enid and Ghost World and like many other iconic teen girl characters they want kind of yeah like a bastion of weirdness to be able to look up to and even you know like the hair is like iconic dark haircut you know the chokers the black lipstick the nail I mean the whole look like heart and skirts it's so like pervasive now still in culture especially like I don't know the last five years so many people are wearing those clothes and I think that's something that has definitely can be traced straight back to the craft and I also think it's interesting of the way in which they use witchcraft you know kind of like going to the shop and buying the candles and buying the books that is something that a lot more millennial women are doing like buying into the consumerist side of witchcraft as opposed to like the more holistic or like maybe whatever people are actually yeah burning ritual candles and burning sage which is like problematic I think but um I think that is an interesting thing that the craft kind of picked up on very early kind of to round off when we even mention witches on screen or even when we started working on this project or even on this podcast the first film that always everybody comes up with is the craft do you think, you know, even from finding it in a in a used VHS store or renting it on DVD in a in a you know RRP um, blockbuster or something like that, 
why do you think kind of people keep navigating towards it? Do you think it's also kind of continued to be in everyone's mind because of internet and meme culture as well? Like there's so many gifts, so many images. It's so kind of pervasive, not just in its in its style and its aesthetic and kind of a, a clothes or an interior design type of way, but also kind of in those snippets that are now circulating everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I saw like, the we are the weirdos mr gif probably like 200 times before i was 16 probably more and like i think a lot of it is down to fraser bulk and nancy's character seeing her out of context like can make sense in a meme setting or like watching the whole film you get such a complicated portrayal of like female anger and female power and all of these things that aren't really shown very well on film period especially if that character is a teenage girl even in other teen movies you know what we consider to be like complicated female characters can still be quite two-dimensional and we just seek the meaning out of it but Nancy and the other girls in the craft all have different layers to them different layers to their pain different layers to their power and I think that's if you're feeling misunderstood yourself whether you're a teenager or an adult I mean it does empower you to watch them like fuck people up who are mean to them (laughs) I mean I love it I mean it's even that kind of part of of the film where they sort of walk down from the bus to go off in the, into the woods to do their rituals and the bus driver quite you know with good intentions sort of says you know watch out for the weirdos girls and it's such an iconic line yeah. which she says we're the weirdos mister it's like actually nothing can hurt us because we're the ones wielding the power and i think nancy's like indifference to men is something that i find so interesting and definitely not portrayed in teen films like obviously not indifference because she has like real force anger towards them but as in i'm sorry <laughs> he's sorry oh he's sorry 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 he's sorry he's sorry he's sorry sorry at no point does her character try to like really play up to men or like get a boyfriend or like whatever you know like she isn't trying to make herself more sexually appealing she exudes it anyway but her thing isn't to be uh, you know like beautiful or whatever she is very indifferent and angry towards men which I think is quite rare to see in a film as well you often see like teen girls crying over boys or like distraught or trying to pander to their attention which this film also includes but Nancy just doesn't give a fuck which i think is quite interesting you're so right especially (laughs) kind of in the contrast with sarah who you know she wants many things but the main object of her obsession is chris hooker Mm -hmm. whether it's nancy who's had him and has also been hurt by him is sort of like no i don't care about that yeah i just want to be free be powerful do whatever i want to do on my terms and she also doesn't seem too upset about the lies that he's spread about her like she uses it as like a cautionary tale but she doesn't seem that it's kind of affected the way that she operates or the person that she is which i think is quite impressive yeah and she's so fiercely independent as well like she she could literally and in a way you know maybe this is a protective layer of her personality as well but she does seem to be um you know she doesn't really need anyone to mm-hmm. exist she's she's good by herself yeah. and witchcraft seems to be the route that she has found to solve a lot of the kind of external issues that she has to deal with yeah and i think you know it turns out to be an unhealthy unhealthy coping mechanism but it's not the worst of them in the grand scheme of things <laughs> <laughs> what do you th- what do you think about the ending 
I mean, I think the ending is disappointing. I would have much preferred to see like Nancy live her life, even if it was in some twisted, fucked up way that's not like in an institution. I mean, I kind of like the layers of history that is with the institutionalized ending as that is like likely would have happened to her if she was, you know, 60 years prior. Like that does happen to women that are, you know, not conforming to how we should consider women to be. So, but I did think it was a bit of like a cheap ending. It didn't really give you that much payoff and it was like a shame equally that Nancy ended up institutionalized and also that Sarah was so like cutting to the girls when they come and try and make amends I just want everyone to be friends basically (laughs) (laughs) I mean I guess that leaves the door open for a sequel true with Nancy Downs Mm. justice for Nancy I would love to see that but yeah or I think I'd just like to see a teen portrayal of witchcraft that is kind of you know it calls upon the craft but is something different i feel like you could i mean scream queens were shit on it (laughs) i don't like scream queens season one was good i don't like it i don't know i'd love i like i'd like to see something that isn't so self-referential and like tongue-in-cheek i'd like to see like a earnest portrayal of witchcraft i suppose that like doesn't because i feel like scream queens takes itself too seriously when it's trying to be funny and it's just too much like i'd like to see something in the middle Maybe. maybe nancy can make a special appearance in the sequel yeah if it ever happens i don't yeah. think it will it's been shelved for like ages now oh god i think it is happening but i just either want them to not touch the original characters yeah. or to bring some of them back in kind of good roles yeah yeah definitely i agree like i think there is space for it but we should be seeking out you know like new nar- narratives of teen witchiness we don't have to rely on the old ones to make something good amazing thank you <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much thanks for having me always happy to <laughs> you, got, you got the opening slot i'm so <laughs> honored like actually am i don't know how i blagged this one but great news <laughs> no it's amazing <laughs> where can we find your work and do you have anything coming up that we can plug i release four new zines on halloween um i run a zine called polyester you can find it at polyester zine on everything um me at Ione Gamble, spelled I-O-N-E, and then Gamble. So for these four new scenes, next week will be like the last episode of the Polyester Podcast for the season. So definitely listen to that. And I think that's it. Follow me, lol. Bye. And I ask for the ability to not hate those who hate me, especially racist pieces of bleach blonde shit like Laura Lizzie. Mm. Right up. I drink of my sisters and I ask to love myself more and to allow myself to be loved more by others, especially Chris Hooker. (laughs) I know it's pathetic. It's definitely pathetic. (laughs) I drink of my sisters and I take into myself the power to be beautiful outside as well as in. I drink of my sisters and I take into myself all the power of Manon. That's all? (laughs) (laughs) Blessed be. Blessed be. Blessed be. Blessed be. (laughs) 